You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. And happy Easter to all of you and uh, everybody visiting with us today, watching online. We want to welcome all our guests, either here or there, and anybody who watched throughout the week. Uh, it's a special day. For those of you who don't know this, Christians celebrate Easter every single Sunday, right? But one Sunday a year, we set it aside and make a really, really big deal about it. And there's a good question why. Like this moment, this weekend, is called the Passion of the Christ. And we even made a movie named after that. Well, Mel Gibson did. I didn't have anything to do with it. And uh, it was a great movie. But why do we call it the Passion of the Christ? And the reason that we do is because whatever the passion of your life is, is the drive and the focus of your heart. And this weekend represents the drive and the focus of the life of Jesus Christ. We're given a summary of maybe the first 30 years or so of that life, but then the last three and a half years, we really, the Gospels, four books, recount that story, and they tell us with unbelievable clarity that everything is driving towards this weekend, this one weekend we set aside. But the question, the question is why? Why was that the focus of his life? Let's pause that question for a second. As the great prophet uh, Forrest Gump tells us, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Have you ever noticed, though, how much life is a little bit like a moving box? I don't know how many times you've moved in your life. For me, I don't even know how many times I've moved, to be honest, either. When I was a young boy, apparently we moved a handful or so of times by the time I was four years old. I don't remember them. I remember the stress of those. I remember the way I felt, but I don't remember the moves specifically. When we were in high school, we moved again. And then I went up to Bible college, and I was constantly moving back and forth from home to school and back again. And then when I graduated college, I married this beautiful woman, and uh, we moved to Colorado together. When we were in Colorado, we moved from one apartment to another up to the third floor, which was really not smart when you have a big, heavy couch. Then we moved again in Colorado, and then God called us to Indiana. We moved here again. We temporarily lived in a house for three months before we moved one more time into the house we live in today. By God's grace, we haven't moved in quite some time. And every time you move, you pretty much go through the same procedure, don't you? You take all of your stuff, you throw it in a box, you wrap it up with tape, you try to write something on it that represents maybe what it is or what's inside, so when you get there, you can unpack the box. But I don't know how many of you are like me. I know some of you are a little more OCD than I am, which would not be hard to do in this regard, but you didn't, or you, you didn't unpack the box, right? You threw everything inside it, you looked at it, and you thought to yourself, ah, I'm going to get to that when? Later. And then, when does later ever come? So I had this friend who would periodically take boxes out of his garage that were his wife's, and he would just put them in the trash. <laughs> and I said, if I were to do that with my wife, I wouldn't have one. <laughs> and he said, if it's been sitting in my garage a year and it's never been opened, clearly we don't need it. I don't disagree with him. I just like being married. But here's what's funny about boxes and stuff. We do this in our lives, not just when we move. When I was in Colorado, my mom called. She said, hey, Matt, I've got a couple boxes of your childhood toys. Do you want me to throw them away or do you want them? 
And I said, well, I don't know what's in it. She goes, well, I don't either, but next time you come, it either goes with you or it goes in the trash, so plan accordingly. Okay, thanks, Mom. So I come back, and uh, Mom's probably watching online. Happy Easter, Mom. Good to see you. And uh, I went home, and sure enough, there was a big box, and there was a little box, and it was most of my childhood memories. And when I opened that box, I started pulling out old Star Wars and He-Man and G.I. Joe and pictures I'd made and notes I'd written and little things. I wasn't quite the pack rat my sister was who had many, many, many boxes. I just had a couple boxes. But everything started to evoke in me this powerful emotion. Memories. You know, they're kind of like the corner of your mind. So I don't know if you know this or not, but <laughs> neuroscientists tell us that, that memories get locked into your brain when you have a moment in your life and it combines with this strong emotion. The emotion could be anything. It could be overwhelming joy or, 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 or celebration. It could be paralyzing fear or anxiety. It could be a moment of physical pain or emotional pain. Now think it back over your life for a minute. You could just focus on the good ones for just a minute. And you can think back to those very memories, those things that you might pull out of the box and look at for a minute. And when you do look at them, uh, that thing that comes up in you, do you, do you notice how you, you kind of have a picture in your mind? See, we don't tend to remember in video. You may remember the conversation. You may even remember a couple snapshots together. But for the most part, what happens is your brain takes a picture of the moment. It stores the moment in your brain, and it gets locked in by that powerful emotion. Again, for the most part, unless you had a repetition in life, like maybe where you played the piano every day, and you kind of remember those collective moments all together, for the most part, we do not remember, by and large, the average day in our life. We don't. But we do remember profound moments that get locked away. I had a friend of mine who told me that made sense when I explained that to him. He grew up in an extremely, extremely traumatic environment. I won't go into the details to spare him in case he were watching online right now. He doesn't go to Kingsway. But he did tell me that made sense because one time in his 20s, he hadn't seen his dad since he was like maybe three or four years old. Had only a handful of memories at all of his dad, but he didn't really remember at all what his dad looked like. And one day, he was looking in the mirror, and all of a sudden, he was knocked to the ground by this picture in the mirror. And he later, about a year or two later, saw a picture, and it was a spitting image of his dad, but he was staring at himself. And all of a sudden, his brain unlocked the image because something happened to him that day that triggered that response in his heart. He started crying because he didn't know what to do with what he saw. It scared him. But see, life is like this, isn't it? I have another, uh, actually I have about a handful of friends. They went and saw this movie that's out right now. I highly recommend you see it, though I haven't seen it yet. I've only heard great things about it. It's called I Can Only Imagine. I don't know how many of you have seen it or not, or if you enjoyed it or not, but it's funny because I keep getting mixed reviews. Now, some of you are like, hey, pastor, how can you say that? Well, here's why. Everybody I've talked to said the movie, movie is absolutely amazing, but I have about a handful of friends who grew up in very difficult, painful, traumatic environments, and because of the environment they grew up in, and this movie deals with kind of those painful, traumatic, abusive environments, it's been a very difficult movie for them. It was encouraging. It was in some ways uplifting, but in some ways, it started to open the box of their life, and it gave gave them this, this, uh, this perspective about things that they didn't necessarily want to deal with. They just wanted to stick it all back in the box, close the box, tape it shut, and put it back in the garage for a later move. But life is like that. But see, remember that initial question we were asking? What's Easter all about? That's 
what Easter is all about. Why? Well, it's quite simple. See, here's the short version of everything. The life that you've lived is the story you'll tell. The life you've lived is the story you'll tell. Here's what I mean by that in short. When you get to the end of your life, and actually throughout your life, you only have one story to tell, and the story that you have to tell is your story. It's the story of what you've done and what others have done to you. That's what life is about, and you have certain memories and lessons and experiences and things that have happened to you and things that you've gone through, even the ones you don't want to talk about. You have those in your life, and they have defined you for the most part. At some point as a child, you decided you liked the way certain things felt, so you were going to go after them more to get that feeling more. There were certain things when maybe you were a child that you didn't like. They hurt you. They were painful. They were terrifying. They were anxiety building. And so you decided, I'm never going to let anything like that happen to me again. But consequently, we end up in a world where we cannot control everybody or everything around us all the time. And they, ironically, can't control us, though we all try, right? And we end up with a box full of experiences. And here's the thing. Resurrection means Jesus came to unpack. Jesus came to pull each of the pieces out one by one and give meaning to them so that they don't just have to be hidden away and stored for some future date so our spouse can find it and try to throw it away. No, so that they could have profound meaning. But profound meaning in that we make sense of them in light of the cross and the resurrection. Not profound meaning in that they are the thing that defines us. See, what most of us do with the things inside our box is, and I mean those moments in our life, those memories, is we try to overcome the bad memories with good memories. And so the way we do this is we work harder. We try to become good enough, or gooder, if you want to say it grammatically correct. We try so hard to impress others, to make others like us, to think highly of us, to show that we measure up in some form or fashion. But Jesus came so that we could die to self, that we might raise from the old life to a new life. See, if you go all the way back to the garden, and and I just want to tell you, for the next five weeks, I want to talk about this in depth. So if anything I'm saying right now strikes you, piques your curiosity, and you just want to come and hear some more about it, I'm going to go really, really deep over the next five weeks into this very topic and how these things play out in our lives. But I'm going to give you a quick snapshot. See, if you go all the way back to the garden, when Adam and Eve were there, they were told not to do one thing and only one thing, stay away from this tree with this fruit, but they didn't do a very good job. And so consequently, they were removed from the garden, and, and what happened as a byproduct is there were a number of curses that were pronounced upon them. And what you need to understand without just our little bit of time here today is all the curse meant was that they were now removed from the presence of God in that close, interactive, day-by-day moment. But as those curses unfolded, and it was different for Adam than it was for Eve, but it unfolded in their family, and their first kids even had major, major pain and problems as a byproduct of all of that. 
As we progress through the scriptures, we find ourselves at a man named Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, if you will believe me, I will bless you and all nations will be blessed by you. And Abraham believed God. And we're told in the scriptures, it was credited to him as righteousness. Meaning, even though Abraham himself was a broken, sinful man, God gave him righteousness because of his faith that God was going to do something. Later, if you progress even further along, we get to a man named Moses. And when Moses came down, he he gave the Israelites the law, and the law of God was the rules, the do's and the don'ts. And what's fascinating about the law is in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, if you go read it, God makes crystal clear to the Israelites, if you do all the things written in these laws, then I will bless you abundantly. Your families will be blessed. You'll have many children. And in that day, that was a blessing. Your livestock will grow and be healthy. Your crops will be wonderful and full. You'll never deal with famines and disease and all those other things. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. In fact, in, verse, in chapter 27, he even goes so far as to say, in everything you do, the Lord God will be with you and you will be blessed. But in those same chapters, it also says, but if you do not keep every letter of this law, then there's a set of curses that will come upon you. And the curses are basically the opposite of the blessings. Bad things are going to happen. Turmoil. Struggle. Strife. Memory-making kinds of things. And both of them really fit in the memory category. It's just a matter of really what is your box full of? What's inside? And why is that powerful? Well, because every Israelite did what most Americans do. They set out to be good enough. They worked really, really hard to please God and to have it all together. But no matter how hard they tried, they just kept failing. So God put together a sacrificial system, one that was intended to, to kind of help the, uh, appease both the guilty mind and let them know that you are in me and I am with you. And so they sacrificed animals, and they, they, they did that. That blood was supposed to what's called atone. It was supposed to make up for their sin. But an animal's blood literally can't do anything. It was symbolic of something else that was bigger and coming down the road. What is Easter all about? Now, we are told, again, this is symbolic, that while the Israelites were trying really hard to appease God, they kept failing, but Jesus came so that when he spilled his blood, his blood could finally and forever erase and do away with all of the sin, all of the stuff and the box, both what you have done and what others have done to you, both your guilt, your shame before others, and your guilt and your shame before God. That was the power of the resurrection. Because if Jesus dies on Friday and stays dead, he could be a sacrificial lamb. But this sacrificial lamb was different because when he rose from the dead, he did something even more profound. He reversed the curse. See, all of the curses of Deuteronomy 27 and 28, all of them were pronounced on us for failing in even just one small way in the law. But when Jesus died on the cross, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that didn't just mean, oh, I got to get out of hell free card. This meant, this meant 
all of the hurts and all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the tears and all of the joys and all of the celebrations and everything that life has to bring to us now has meaning, now has purpose, now has hope as it is redeemed in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's, yeah, we can clap for that. And that's why it was his passion. Now, Paul writes a letter to a church in the, in the town of Galatia. And I want to make a little, couple of little things clear in this book. Galatians chapter 3. It, here's what Paul says about this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not, does not, I sound like my kids, <laughs> does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What Paul's trying to lay out for you is simply what I have already said, and he's simply trying to say, if you are counting on your own good works to be good enough for God, then you better do it perfectly, because if you fail at even one small point, then the weight of all the curses is upon you. Now, this is important, because if you're visiting with us today, I know what's gone through your mind many, many times. I am a good person I'm not really evil. I don't know those really dark things like we read about on TV uh, or internet or wherever it is you get your news. But Paul says, see, to fail in even one small area is to carry the weight of all the curses. But then we go down at verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3, and Paul goes on and he says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse For us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, without doing an entire teaching on the book of Galatians, and especially chapter 3, I just want to make this small point. What Paul is trying to say is when Jesus hung on the cross on Friday, at least the day we celebrated it, What happened was he took on himself all of the sins of history, past, present, future, so that all of the curses of the law fell on him. So all those things that you've been packing away, hoping nobody would ever see or find out about, all those things that you don't want to go back and deal with because they just simply hurt too much, all those things fell upon him. Would you do me a quick favor and just do this with me, right? Just take a deep breath together, ready? We're gonna hold our breath, we're gonna hold it for two seconds, and we're gonna exhale for two seconds, you ready? Did you feel your body relax just now? If you didn't, maybe it's because you're still afraid of what's in the box. Afraid it'll come out. Afraid it'll spill over. Afraid of the story you might tell or have to tell or need to tell or get to tell. I just want you to have hope, church, friends, guests. When Jesus rose from the dead, he removed the curse of the law. He removed the curse of what's been done to you. He removed the curse of what you've done because now in Jesus Christ, we are able to walk free free, 
free men, free women. Not because we're rich, not because we're poor. Not because we're educated or uneducated. Not because we know everything there is about the Bible. It all makes sense to us or we know nothing about the Bible. None of it makes sense to us. The point is that in Jesus, all of these things were erased. So that we have the opportunity in Jesus to start fresh with God and with each other. And I don't know about you, but depending on what's in your box, that sounds amazing. Because for most of us, the barriers in our relationships here on earth, with our parents, with our children, with our spouses, even with our friends, is what's inside the box always seems to come out of the box. Have you noticed that? I can't ever really keep it in the box. I can only cover it with lots and lots of tape, wrap it up tight, and hope to hide it away in some safe, and nobody ever sees it or finds it, and I'll just keep it buried deep enough. But sooner or later, what's inside comes out. So what Easter means is Jesus came to say, I want to take what's inside and replace it with me. And that's the power of Paul saying, no longer do we without Christ receive, or with Christ receive the curse. Instead, we receive the spirit. And in the spirit of God, God is replacing in us the story of our lives. That's why Paul goes on in Galatians chapter three, and he says this, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is simply trying to say is all of those normal categories that we put our junk into, this box is for this and this box is for that, all of those things are erased in Christ so that we can gather as one body and it doesn't matter what you've experienced, it doesn't matter what you've been through, it doesn't matter what the identity of the world that gives you is, in Jesus Christ, we are all one, sinners saved by grace, lost that are now found, hopeless that are now filled with unfathomable Hope because of the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, if you're visiting with us today, I want you to know that hope. I get it, it's one message, but I'm gonna guess for just a minute, this isn't the first time that God has tried to speak to you to get your attention. I'm just gonna guess that. Have you ever noticed that there are certain songs on the radio that jump out to you, certain uh, articles you read on the internet, certain books, when you read them, there's lines and there's words and there's phrases, certain things you hear on TV. Have you ever noticed that it almost like there's this voice that just keeps speaking to you and guiding you and challenging you and encouraging you? And do you, have you ever noticed that voice in your head and in your heart? And it's the voice of God, and he's desperately trying to lead you. He's desperately trying to get your attention. He's screaming to you, I want to unpack your box. Will you let me? Will you let me? Well, for all of us who've received Jesus, you know there was a critical moment in your life where you stepped forward and said, Jesus, here, take it. I'm terrified. I don't know what you're going to do with it. I don't know how you're going to deal with me. I don't know what you're going to do next, but I know this. This is heavy. I'm tired of carrying it around. 
Listen, if that's your story today, boy, did you pick a great day to deal with it. Right now, we're going to go into what we call communion time. And communion time is where we, as people who worship Jesus, we take the bread and we take the juice that represent what happened Friday, but we eat it and we drink it because we're celebrating Sunday. In the moment of communion, and I know people are moving around, but stick with me here. In the moment of communion, what we're really doing is simply saying to God, thank you that in Jesus, you have taken all of my past and you have given it meaning and purpose. You have replaced my worldly passions, my earthly passions with new ones, with God-honoring ones. So God, meet me in this place. Encourage me, challenge me, stir in me, but don't leave me the way that I came in. Now here's, I'm gonna say this quickly and we'll remind you before we go. If today you're hearing the voice of God and he's saying to you, come to me, all you who are weary and I will give you rest. If you're hearing that from him in some way or another, I wanna encourage you before you leave today, why don't you come and talk to us? We'll be down here to my left, your right, underneath that screen at the end of the service. We would love, we would love to talk to you. We would love to tell you about this Jesus and the resurrection and how you become one with him, how you give your life to him how you lay down the box. I'm gonna pray over us. And as I pray, I'm asking God to stir in your heart some decision you need to make today in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. God, I pray right now. A lot of people came in here, God, and some of them have already unpacked their box, folded it up, and put it out with a recycle bin. But God, there's a lot of us who haven't. There's a lot of us carrying a lot of pain and junk and turmoil and strife and anxiety and fear and wounds around. And Father, I pray for those right now, watching online, listening here in this room. Oh God, I just pray. Stir in their hearts. Something that was said today, may it move them profoundly, God, that they may realize that the curse that is upon them comes from the sin of this world, both theirs and others. And yet Jesus came to remove the curse, to reverse the curse, to undo all the evil that's been done. God, I pray that something, just somehow, it has to be supernatural, Father. Your spirit has to move, to stir, to draw, to speak. God, I pray that right now you would do that to them, encourage them. But they don't have to be afraid anymore that the father who sends his son to suffer the cross longs to free them. Father, I pray that as we take this communion, something profound would happen in this place. You tell us where two or more are gathered in your name. You are there with us. So, Father, we welcome you here. Stir in our hearts now our affections for you. We thank you, Father. We thank you that by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are no longer under a curse. but We are freed to be your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name.